Some passages of Scripture are like chocolate. You know, it, it melts in your mouth and it's really good, and uh, you get an immediate satisfaction out of reading those passages. Some passages are like hard candy, and uh, it takes a little while to get all the sweetness out of it. And I think this passage before us today is one of those passages. Uh, says some things that might be difficult for us to hear, but things that when we meditate upon it will certainly be sweet to us. And I hope that's true for you today. Uh, we have here a man who comes to Jesus uh, rather humbly. He says he kneels before him and asks him, you know, addresses him, good teacher or rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a question that is about as profound as a question that you could ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Is that a question that you have asked uh, of yourself? Is that a question that you've ever pondered in your mind or in your heart or even out loud? A lot of people in our day don't like to think beyond this life. They don't like to think about the end of their lives. Uh, it's rather disturbing. Uh, of course, it's unnatural. God never intended for us to die in the first place, but sin and the brokenness that came in because of that uh, allowed death to enter the world. So death is, in some ways, very unnatural. It's not the way that God intended it to be. And so God is the way to eternal life. But how do we know? How do we know that we can have eternal life? And have we meditated upon that question? The, this uh, young man, whom we find out from the other gospel accounts, was uh, a rich man. We, we know he's a rich man here, but he's a rich young man and a ruler as well, if we combine the three different uh, passages from the gospels that uh, to speak about this episode, this question was on his heart. It was on his mind. He was thinking beyond his current life. He was not just living for today, but wanting to live forever. And surely that should be a desire of all of our hearts. Now, it said before that it's a, a humble question, but, but really it might not be that humble as you look at uh, how he says and what he says, how he says what he says and, and what he says. Uh, he does kneel before Jesus and asks his profound question. But it's probably not because uh, he really wants to know new information. Rather, I think, from the way Jesus answers him, that what he was looking for was some affirmation uh, of what he was already doing trying to secure eternal life for himself. He felt like he had it together. Uh, and why wouldn't he? He was rich. Uh, he was young. And obviously, if you're rich and young, you've got to be good-looking as well because aren't all rich young people good-looking too? So this rich, good-looking young man had it all together and you know, he just wanted to make sure and wanted to have a little affirmation that he was on the right path. And he wants a second opinion, so he comes to Jesus. And verse 18 tells us that Jesus says something curious to him, asks him a curious question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What does Jesus mean here when he answers the man in this way? Well, Jesus here is questioning this man's understanding 
of good. What is good? What does he mean by good? Because Jesus is about to redefine goodness for this man. You know, we all like to think that we're good people. And this man certainly thought he was a good person. Well, by all human accounts, he was a good person. As we read uh, his record of achievement there, uh, of keeping the commandments. But we like to think that we're good people. And, and many people, I would say the majority of people, naturally think when they think about inheriting eternal life and God looking favorably upon them when they pass away, they feel like they will get eternal life because they're good people. If you ask that question that's the, to, to people on the street, that's the most common answer you'll get. Well, you know, I'm a good person. I've never murdered anyone. I've, I've never done this or that, whatever they think is something that's really bad. And they think what they're basically saying is I'm a really good enough person to inherit eternal life. I'm not like Adolf Hitler or some really evil or wicked person. I'm basically a good guy or a good girl. And, and you know, at the end of the time, when, when it's all weighed out, my goods will outweigh my bads. Well, Jesus is saying no one is good except God alone. Now, he's not saying that he himself is not good. He says, why do you call me good? Of course, Jesus is good because he is God. But the man doesn't understand that he's God. The man just thinks that he's another uh, great rabbi, great teacher. And he's coming to him to have his question answered. So Jesus is saying, now listen, what, what do you, how do you define good? What is good? Jesus goes on and says, you know the commandments. And he lists off several. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. It's not an exhaustive list. But the man is obviously a good person. He says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. The man was good because Jesus does not correct him. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're a liar. I know what you've done. He doesn't say, well, wait a minute, surely you're uh, broadly defining the law and you're not looking at it very closely to say that you've kept them from their youth. No, Jesus doesn't say anything at all. He does not dispute the man's assertion that he's kept all these commandments, even from a young age. He was a good person. Now, I'm thinking this, this man, after saying, well, you know, Jesus, I have kept all these commandments from my youth. This man was expecting Jesus to say, well, then... Young man, good job. You'll be happy to know that you're going to inherit eternal life. Because of your impeccable record, God is going to smile upon you. But Jesus says something quite different here. Something very hard for the man to hear. Look at verse 21. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, notice that it says that Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. I don't know that it says that specific phrase anywhere else in, in the Bible when Jesus interacts with others. He looks at the man, and Mark points out that he loved him. He didn't think, Jesus didn't think this man is coming, you know, oh, he's a really self-righteous guy, thinking that he's got it all together, and I'm going to really 
you know, show him a thing or two and, and expose him for what he really is. No, Jesus loved him. And he told him a difficult thing for the man to hear because the man goes away sorrowful, grieved. Uh, the word there is a very interesting word. It can mean that the man was shocked, he was appalled, but it can also mean that he was discouraged and disheartened, downcast and gloomy. What Jesus does here is he, he rips the rug out from under this man's self-confidence. The man was confident that Jesus was going to agree with him and uh, enhance his own belief that he was a good person and he deserved an eternal life. He deserved to inherit this blessing from God. But Jesus burst his balloon. It's like a little boy. Uh, you've ever seen children when they're carrying a balloon and uh, maybe it's on a string and, and it gets too close to the light and pops because of the heat and the poor little child is just distraught and sad and overwhelmed because he's lost his balloon. That's the way this man felt, except it was much more profound than a balloon. Uh, his self-confidence, his self-righteousness, all uh, he had built his hopes upon, it was shattered by Jesus' words here. And he's discouraged and disheartened, and he slumps off away from the crowd. He comes for affirmation. He leaves with disappointment. We need to hear sometimes disappointing things, especially when it comes to inheriting eternal life, especially when it comes to our own ideas of why we deserve salvation. We need to have our bubble burst sometimes because we can live in a delusion. See what Jesus is showing him here when he goes on and says, look, uh, these commandments... You know, you've kept those, but when he says, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, he really exposes the man for what he is. The man kept a lot of the commandments, but he failed to keep the first commandment. And the first commandment is this, you shall have no other gods before me. And this man's God was his possessions. What an apt uh, thing for our culture today, our materialistic culture that worships so many uh, possessions that we have. We must have this, we must have that. But I want to take you back to that Hosea passage that we read this morning. Jesus says, I, or God says to his people, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as light. That's exactly what's happening to this man here. Uh, he is getting hewn by the prophet, the great prophet Jesus. He has gotten slain by Jesus' words. Jesus' judgment has shined a light down on this man and exposed him as not the good person he thinks he is, but as someone who doesn't really love God at all, but rather loves his possessions more. Because what God is really after, what Jesus is really after, is not our obedience to a list of commandments. 
He's not after, actually, he's not after our money. I mean, he tells this man to give up all of his possessions. Zacchaeus also was a rich man, but he only told Zacchaeus to give back what he had stolen. And Zacchaeus goes a little extra and gives half back, or 50% of all of his wealth back. Nicodemus was a rich man who encountered Jesus. He doesn't say anything about giving up his possessions. See, Jesus was shining a light into this man's heart to show them, show him that he didn't really love God. He loved his stuff more than he loved God. Hosea goes on, and he tells us what Jesus is after in this man's life and what he's after in our lives as well. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Uh, This man was very religious. Uh, He was a good man. He obeyed all the rules. But he was far from inheriting eternal life because he he did not... He did not have steadfast love for the Lord. He did not really know God because of that. And Jesus says something rather shocking to the disciples and to the people of that day. Uh, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And it tells us that the disciples were amazed at the words. Jesus basically says the same thing again. And And it says that the disciples were exceedingly astonished. Now why were they exceedingly astonished by Jesus saying uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. People have tried to explain that away uh, in so many different ways. But really, it's an idiom, and it, and it means that it's impossible. Uh, it's like, and, it, and it's not just one of the gates in Jerusalem. Some people say the gates in Jerusalem, uh, you know, it was hard for a camel to get through, and you had to really squeeze them through and push and pull and you know, it was hard, and, and that's what Jesus is referring to. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult because they don't want to just write off rich people altogether. But this is not what he's saying. He's saying it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. You can't get a camel. That was the largest animal in, in that region. And the eye of a needle, of course, minuscule. So he's saying it's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. This, is aston- this astonishes the disciples. Why? Well, in those days, uh, they equated blessing, material blessing, with being righteous. If you were a good person, then God would bless you. And if you had a lot of stuff, you, if you had wealth and riches and possessions, then obviously you were a righteous person, and God had blessed you. Look at Job, the book of Job. You know, Job was a very wealthy man, and he lost it. All in the, in the span of hours. His family, his wealth, his possessions, lost it all. And his friends show up. And they are working on the basis of this assumption that, hey, if his wealth and his possessions have been taken away, he must be involved in some kind of sin. That was the mindset of the day. In our day, we don't look at it that way. We oftentimes look at it exactly the opposite way. If somebody is really wealthy, then they probably... Uh, skirted the law somewhere or they've not played by the rules or you know somehow they've exploited someone else but that wasn't the case for this man he says that he had never stolen he hadn't he hadn't exploited anyone jesus asks him directly he had done it the right way but what jesus is saying here and what he's exposing uh this man as 
And what he's trying to say to the disciples and to us as well is that really what's most important is not our money. Jesus doesn't want our religion. He doesn't want our possessions even. What he wants is us. He wants all of us. He doesn't just want this man's money. He wants this man's loyalty. He wants this man's love. He wants this man to he wants everything that this man has and is. He doesn't need this man's money. I mean, the Bible tells us that the Lord owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. He wants all of you. There's an interesting passage in 2 Corinthians 8 that talks about uh, an offering that's being taken up, that has already been taken up. Macedonian churches, places like Philippi, uh, they had made a collection and were sending it off to people who were going through a famine, going through difficult times. And these people were struggling. They were poor. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, and he's trying to encourage the Corinthians to get involved in giving towards this, this case, this cause. And he tells them that the Macedonians have, even though they were poor, even though they didn't have anything, they, they wanted to give and help their fellow Christians out. And it says, Paul says, this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. See, the most important thing they did was not give an offering. The most important thing that they did was had given themselves to the Lord. That's what the Lord wants. That's what the Lord is trying to show this man. It's not the money that he wants. He wants the whole man. And the man goes away sad because he would rather have money than have whatever the Lord can give him. Now Peter chimes in and he says, See, we have left everything and followed you. This is verse 28. 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in the land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You see what Jesus is saying here is when you give your all to the Lord, when you give yourself to the Lord in all that you have and all that you are, you're going to gain back so much more. Yes, you will gain with those things persecutions. You know, you'll gain houses and lands and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. You'll also get persecution, but you'll also get eternal life in the age to come. The, what Jesus promises, if we give ourselves to him fully and totally, is much more. It's much more difficult, but it's much more than we would have gained by hanging on. And that's what this man is losing out on as he slinks away in his sadness and discouragement, hanging on to his possessions. He's not recognizing what he is losing out on by holding on to his money. Now, it doesn't have to be money that we use. We use all kinds of things to put in the place of God. What this man was doing is what we do, what we all do, every one of us, we attribute, we attribute divinity to earthly things. See, this man probably felt like these possessions that he had, his wealth gave him security, gave him status. He was a blessed man. Uh, gave him comfort. Gave him peace. 
And see, Jesus is saying in this passage that money is a particular bad temptation for us. It's hard for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God because he looks to money to give him all those things that only God can ultimately give you. You don't have to be rich to love money. Uh, You can be poor and love money. You can be poor and, and idolize money. And I think that it might be more of a temptation for poor people to say, if I just had money, then I would be secure. If I just had some money, then I wouldn't have so much stress in my life. If I just had money, I would be uh, at peace. If I just had some more money, then I would be comfortable. If I just had that job, then I would have status. If, if I just had that relationship, then I would have security. See, we, you can substitute anything in those slots and you can pursue all kinds of good things, earthly things, that you put in the place of God. But really the only thing that you can fill that blank with to know true security, peace, comfort, uh, to have a solid identity, to have anything that you desire in your heart, the only thing to have that fully and completely is to look to the Lord for it. He is the only place that you can give it. That's when we started with the psalm that we did. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our defender. He is the salvation. He is it. What are you looking for today, and where are you looking for it? Are you looking for peace or comfort or security? Are you trying to get it through money and bank accounts? Are you trying to get it through a relationship? Are you trying to get it through uh, popularity or through uh, some job that you're looking, some promotion that you want? And we all do that. We all have that tendency, and that's what we prayed about in the prayer this morning. How do we change? How do we, how do we get over this heart that runs uh, to, to false gods? Well, we have to look at the true God. We have to see the one who is truly good, Jesus Christ. And recognize when he asks us to give, give, him, give ourselves and all that we have to him that he is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done for us already. You know, this man was a rich young ruler. And he is, he is coming to the ultimate rich young ruler who left the right hand of the Father, who left all the glory of heaven, who left being... Uh, the king over all the universe, to humbly be born in a manger, to suffer through life, to be mistreated by his creation, uh, to ultimately die uh, a, a death for sin that was not his own sin, but our sin. He's the ultimate rich young ruler who gave away everything he had for us. And now all he asks is for us to give ourselves back to Him so that He can give us so much more. See, when we hold back, it's only hurting us. And we will never have eternal life if we hold back. Jesus says that we should be good, we should be religious, yes, but for His sake and for the gospel. And that's what Peter was saying there. We have done, we have followed you, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, if you've done it for my sake, and for the gospel, then you will inherit all those things. But the warning is for us. Many who are first will be last. It's not a bad thing to be last when you end up first with Jesus. That's the best place to be. Let's pray together.